You're listening to Warwick Radio Online. The voice of Warwick, Rhode Island. This is The Crimes That Shaped Our City. I'm your host, Kate Etassi. I was born and raised in Warwick and spent six years of my legal career as a criminal defense attorney in Rhode Island. I'm now medically retired from the law, but continue to be a true crime fanatic, which is why I wanted to bring Warwick Radio Online listeners a podcast series that focused on crimes allegedly committed by Warwick citizens or within our city limits. While I do hope to entertain you with the retelling of these crimes, it's not my intention to minimize or dismiss the negative consequences these crimes have had upon their victims and the family members of those victims. With all that said, I hope you enjoy learning more about the crimes that shaped our city. Welcome, everyone, to The Crimes That Shaped Our City. As you just heard in my intro, I'm a retired criminal defense attorney who was born and raised in Warwick. For a few years, I even operated my law firm out of an office on Jefferson Boulevard. I'd represent individuals charged with anything from simple assault and disorderly conduct all the way up to child molestation and murder. My clients included those who'd taken wrong turns in their lives, many who'd suffered from mental health or substance abuse issues, those who were neglected and abused as children, and a few who seemed to be making a lifelong career out of crime. I was drawn to criminal defense and appeals for several reasons. One of the biggest being my fervent belief that every person charged with a crime in this country is constitutionally entitled to due process and an attorney to represent them through the process. As I hope you'll hear throughout this podcast series, people encounter the American criminal justice system for a variety of reasons and under a number of different circumstances. While the vast majority either pleaded guilty or were found guilty by a judge or jury, not every criminal defendant is guilty of the crimes they're accused of or is afforded every constitutional protection they're entitled to under the law. How people are charged or sentenced in America can vastly depend on the person's race, gender, socioeconomic status, or even their political or religious views. On this premiere episode of The Crimes That Shaped Our City, we'll be discussing our city's founder, Samuel Gorton, who was banished from or sentenced by several colonies in Rhode Island and Massachusetts between 1636 and 1643. Among his alleged crimes were heresy and seditious conduct, which nowadays conjures up images of the January 6th riot. In reality, Gorton's alleged crimes will likely be the least egregious and perhaps most technical we'll be discussing on this series. Indeed, it appears his greatest offenses were mouthing off to judges and government officials and daring to have alternate interpretations of the Bible. By all accounts, Samuel Gorton seems to have been an opinionated loudmouth. And when we're thinking about the century leading up to the founding of our country, you'd think freedom of expression and religion would be highly regarded and protected. That's what we learned about Rhode Island, right? That it was founded by Roger Williams, who believed in a person's right to express their own religious beliefs. And that is the very reason why Gorton first moved to America in 1636 or 37, to quote, enjoy liberty of conscience in respect to faith towards God and for no other end, end quote. 
Except things weren't quite so settled yet when it came to any form of governance. Nor was there yet a constitution or any of its amendments to cite for protection. So when Gorton went around various colonies in Mass and Rhode Island, noting ideas about the Bible, Adam and Eve, baptisms and more, he was quickly pushed out of or officially banished from nearly every settlement he spent any time in. After being kicked out of Boston for his religious expression, he went to Plymouth, where he was, quote, warned out of the colony after displaying seditious conduct in court. You see, Gorton's maidservant had been accused of smiling in church, a big no-no back then, and Gorton went to court to defend her honor. He protested the case, telling the magistrates his maidservant was a woman of good rapport, and also noting that smiling in church wasn't a crime under English law. For his testimony, he was charged with deluding the court and ultimately fined for seditious conduct. After Plymouth, he moved to Portsmouth, where he and Anne Hutchinson helped to establish the Portsmouth Government Charter. Unfortunately, while there, he was also whipped for being insubordinate toward the local magistrates. He moved to Newport in 1639, where he was sentenced twice to the stocks and was then ordered to be publicly whipped. During those cases, he went before Judge William Coddington, who'd recently helped to establish the town of Newport and had elected himself judge there. Since Gordon became known for holding contempt for those in power who either held meaningless positions or had obtained the position without the consent of the people, it's no surprise that Samuel Gordon publicly referred to Judge Coddington as, quote, not a justice, but a just ass, end quote. Soon after that, Gordon moved to Providence, but he was never officially recognized there as one of its citizens. You see, at the time he lived there, no bachelor could hold land or citizenship. So Gorton organized some fellow bachelors to express their discontent. The fight between Gorton's group of men and those governing Providence, including Roger Williams, got so bad that at one point, there was a physical altercation in which men were carrying clubs and throwing stones. Gorton's time there was so tumultuous that Roger Williams, in a letter written to John Winthrop in 1641, reported that Gorton, quote, having abused high and low at a quidnick, is now bewitching and bemaddening poor Providence, end quote. Gorton and his followers, who became known as the Gortonites or the Gortonists, moved to Patuxet. And then on January 12, 1642, Samuel Gorton and the Gortonites purchased around 107 square miles of land, known as Shawmut, from a Narragansett nation, Sachem, for 144 fathoms of wampum, or shell beads. It's believed that Gorton's enemies then went to the Narragansetts and got them to acquiesce to the authority of Massachusetts and file a complaint that Gorton had participated in unjust and injurious dealing with two sachems regarding the sale of Shawmut. Acting on that complaint, Boston summoned the Gortonites to appear and answer to it. When the Gortonites refused to do so, stating that they were subjects of the King of England, not of Massachusetts, a small military company was sent back to Shawmut to physically seize the men and bring them to Massachusetts for trial. Getting word that the military company was coming for them, the Gortonites sent their women and children to safety and then took safety themselves at their blockhouse on Connecticut Point, where they stood siege for at least a day and a night. Ultimately, the Gortonites wanted to avoid anyone getting injured, and so they surrendered peacefully and were taken to Boston. While being held on the accusation that they'd duped the Narragansetts into selling Shawmut, 
Gordon and some of the others continued espousing their alternative religious and political beliefs. From what I can understand, Gordon believed all humans had the Holy Spirit in them, and therefore each person had an inner divinity, and each person was equal to all others. He didn't believe in saints and sinners, and seemed to be more about individual expressions of faith than he was for organized religious organizations. Ultimately, he believed in every individual's right to freedom of thought and of religion. When it came to the actual charge that had brought the Gortonites to court, Gordon objected to Massachusetts trying to claim jurisdiction over a matter that occurred in Rhode Island. I won't bore you by getting into the legal minutiae of judicial jurisdiction on this podcast, but trust me, the Gortonites had valid reason to question why Massachusetts was even getting involved in the first place. Unfortunately, the magistrates not only skirted around the pesky issue of whether they actually had jurisdiction to hear the complaint, they didn't even bother deciding on the validity of the land deal. Instead, all but three of the magistrates voted to sentence the Gortonites to death because of their publicly stated religious views, finding Gorton specifically to be, quote, a blasphemous enemy of the true religion of our Lord Jesus Christ and his holy ordinances, and also of all civil authority among the people of God, and particularly in this jurisdiction, end quote. Ultimately, because they knew they didn't have public support to kill these men, they sentenced Samuel Gorton and most of the other defendants to hard labor, one man per town, while in iron leg shackles. They told the defendants that if they broke free or continued to espouse their religious views to others, they'd be sentenced to death. In the end, the magistrates realized they'd just created more opportunities for the Gortonites to try and corrupt Massachusetts citizens with their views, so they unshackled the men and banished them from the colony. Samuel Gorton and a few others decided to head to England to get protection from the Crown and approval to live on their land in Shawmut. Before heading out, Gorton got the approval of the chief of the Narragansett Nation to allow the Gortonites to tell the British government that the Narragansetts ceded to the throne. Over the next four years, Gorton and two others made their case in England, and in the end received a British order of protection from Robert Rich, the second Earl of Warwick, granting Shawmut to the Gortonites and their successors forever, and guaranteeing them protection against all other claimants. When Gorton returned to Boston after his voyage back from England, he was ordered to be arrested. Thankfully, after showing authorities his letter of protection from the Earl, he was set free and allowed safe passage to Shawmut, though I believe he remained banished from Massachusetts. In honor of the Earl of Warwick's support, Gorton then renamed Shawmut Warwick. The then town was officially chartered on March 14, 1648, and parts of it were later sold off and became West Warwick and Coventry. After chartering Warwick, Gorton went on to take some of the very governmental positions he'd rebelled against years prior. He was Warwick's magistrate in 1649, the president of Providence and Warwick in 1651, Warwick commissioner on and off from 1651 to 1663, and the Warwick deputy to the General Assembly for four years in the late 1660s. He died around 1677 at about 85 years old. In 1992, Gorton was posthumously pardoned by the governor of Massachusetts at the 350th anniversary of Warwick's settlement. Technically, it represents Massachusetts for giving Gorton for his underlying offense, although if we look back at his behavior through today's lens, he didn't do much beyond piss off a lot of people in power. 
I can't say that I agree with Samuel Gorton's interpretations of the Bible, and I'm not sure I would have enjoyed socializing with him, but I greatly admire how fiercely he fought for principles that weren't adopted by the yet-to-be-formed America for almost another 150 years. He vehemently believed in freedom of expression and of religion, in equality for women, and is believed to have at least co-authored a piece of legislation in Rhode Island that abolished slavery. He's also credited with being a significant reason why Rhode Island wasn't ceded to Massachusetts. As a card-carrying member of the ACLU, I have a deep admiration of the First Amendment. Freedom of speech, freedom to peacefully assemble, separation of church and state, and freedom of religion. I fight for the right of those who are at the opposite end of the political spectrum as I am to publicly voice their opinions, even if I vehemently disagree with what those opinions are. And ultimately, that seems to be who the founders of Warwick were. They were a small group of people, led principally by Samuel Gorton, who were fighting to be able to think and say what they believed without punishment or banishment. I'm thankful that the very acts they were convicted of committing in the 1600s are constitutionally protected acts today. I'm also incredibly thankful that Samuel Gorton and the Gortonites had the courage to commit those acts, even after being punished for them repeatedly. I think it's fair to say that had it not been for those alleged crimes, he never would have had to go looking in so many colonies for the right place to live. Had Samuel Gorton kept his opinions to himself, he most likely never would have been banished or warned from any of the colonies. He also probably wouldn't have met his fellow Gortonites or ever felt the need to purchase Shawmut in order to settle somewhere. And I cannot think of many people who would have gone on fighting for years to get their land back after very nearly being sentenced to death for their viewpoints. Warwick, West Warwick, and Coventry would never have existed as we know them without Samuel Gorton's allegedly seditious, mutinous, and heretical acts. His crimes not only shaped our city, they created it. As we wrap up today's episode, I'd like to thank Felicia Gardella, president of the Warwick Historical Society, who helped me gather a lot of the relevant facts on Samuel Gorton. Thank you for listening to the very first episode of The Crimes That Shaped Our City. Stay safe, my friends. Thank you for listening to The Crimes That Shaped Our City. Please note that any legal analysis discussed in these episodes should never be considered legal advice. If you're in need of legal advice or consultation, make sure to contact an active licensed member of your state's bar. If you have any questions or comments about today's episode or any suggestions of a Warwick crime to cover in a future episode, feel free to contact me through my website, katherineetassi.com. The website can also be found in the episode's show notes. You're listening to Warwick Radio Online. The voice of Warwick, Rhode Island.